other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is, of course, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, a great song. And this was actually a birthday bumper music selection from now former commissioner of buildings in New York City, Eric Ulrich. He, um, you know, I don't want to get into how he ended up being former, but it's well documented. And so I asked him, it was his birthday yesterday, and I asked him how he, uh, I asked him to make some bumper music selections. And he said, given the unexpected circumstances of my departure, I've come up with a few witty ideas. And this was one, Eye of the Tiger. So I think it takes a whole new resonance on when you, uh, when you know that it's from Eric Ulrich and you know what happened. Now, uh, this, of course, was made famous by one of the Rocky sequels, Rocky Three, And in Rocky Three. You see an incredible physical specimen by the name of Thunderlips, played brilliantly, I might add, by Hulk Hogan. And uh, they're in this exhibition match, Thunderlips, portrayed by Hulk Hogan, and Rocky, played by uh, Sylvester Stallone. And it, was, it actually had some basis in a real-life incident, a, a wrestler versus boxer real-life incident, and um, it struck me as as good a time as any to revisit uh, a conversation with John Arezzi. He is a brilliant man and the co-author of the book, Matt Memories, and he's also the co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from uh, Madison Square Garden podcast. John, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Hey, Frank. Great to be with you again. It's been a while. It certainly has. We have to make this a more regular occurrence. Hey, John, uh, just before we spoke a little bit about um, the New York Mets Super Bowl ad, which I thought was very clever, and uh, I I think it certainly marks a new change in marketing strategy and the level of investment from the current Met ownership. In your book, Matt Memories, you do spend some time uh, talking about your time working in baseball and for the Mets organization. If you're a Met fan or just a baseball analyst in general, what do you think you can read from the fact that Steve Cohen chose to run this Super Bowl ad? Is this, a, this seems to be very much a new era for the Mets, doesn't it? It's a brand new era, and it's a welcomed era by anybody who's been um, – with broken hearts from the Mets over many, many years, like myself, uh, Cohen is going to do everything it takes. And he's already proven it to make the Mets a a perennial winner, be respected, uh, to build an organization that's going to be 
very competitive for years to come. You had predicted that uh, they would make the playoffs uh, last year. You were right about that. Unfortunately, they uh, they fell short. What do you think of the offseason moves that they made this year? I'm really happy that they brought back Brandon Nimmo. I thought it was a spark plug at the top of the lineup. The defense and center field improved dramatically last year. Uh, the free agent signings, once uh, DeGrom uh, decided that he didn't want to be in New York anymore, went to Texas, Cohen immediately answers by bringing in Justin Verlander. Uh, he signs uh, uh, other free agents. Um, it was a great offseason for the Mets. And even the Korea situation where um, they pulled the trigger and then because of the physical and the ankle problems, uh, that deal didn't go through. It wasn't a big letdown for Mets fans. We're like, okay, he gave it a shot. It didn't work out. We're still going to be great this mm-hmm. year. So. Yeah. Very excited for the upcoming season. Yeah, no, well well said. Hey, I alluded to uh, that uh, scene in Rocky Three of Thunderlips versus Rocky. Some people say that that uh, had its basis in the real-life boxer versus wrestler uh, bout of Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki. Last year, uh, we lost Antonio Inoki, a really a legendary pro wrestler, martial artist, politician, and really kind of an ambassador of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts to the rest of the of the world. I'm curious, in all your time involved in uh, pro wrestling, did you ever have occasion to interact with Antonio Inoki? Yes, I did. He made an appearance at Madison Square Garden to promote the uh, boxer versus wrestler match in 1976. I was fortunate enough to be at Madison Square Garden as a ringside photographer, was backstage and uh, took some pictures, uh, interacted, said hello. But certainly uh, his presence and, and the hype and publicity that brought to pro wrestling back then in 1976 was uh, pretty amazing for a sport that didn't get a lot of national media coverage at the time. The That era, the 1970s, there were a lot of people that watched pro wrestling and still kind of believed that it was on the level, that maybe the outcomes of the matches were not predetermined. Then uh, in the uh, 80s and certainly in the 90s, Gradually, it got to the point where the fans all sort of knew that the outcomes were predetermined, but the people putting on the product still kind of acted as if uh, the, that was it was a legitimate sport. Even with all the, uh, the the revelry and all the showmanship, they still kind of acted like it was a legitimate situation. These days, you don't really see any pretense uh, that it that that there's a non predetermined aspect to pro wrestling. How does pro wrestling survive these days in an era where every 11-year-old who knows how to work Google can find out in eight seconds that uh, pro wrestling is not legitimate in the way that uh, that boxing is? Has that hurt pro wrestling fandom at all? I think it hurt when it was first... um when Vince McMahon first went to the public and said, this is all sports entertainment and not really legitimate competition. Uh, I think today, I mean, with the generations that have uh, evolved and now follow pro wrestling, I think they look at it kind of as quasi sport 
quasi art form um, with athletics and and just kind of suspension of disbelief. You know, you know it's not legit in regard to winners and losers. There's still fans that enjoy this every single week, whether it's WWE, AEW, or the independents. It's a different era. I've been following it and covering it for 50 years now, really. And uh, I'm amazed sometimes that uh, it brings in what it does uh, dollar-wise. And the business is so robust today. I mean, I had Eric Bischoff on my podcast uh, about a week ago when we were covering my radio show from 30 years ago. And that's when he made his first appearance and was appointed executive producer of uh, WCW at the time. And we were talking about Monday Night Raw, how it was a niche program, and it just said debuted. And then we come back uh, after listening to the clip, uh, the highlight that I played, and Eric is like, boy, that was uh, interesting, calling it a niche. It was a really big niche. It's <laughs> a multi-billion dollar business now. You know, that, that, is, uh, that is for sure. Last week, uh, we talked on this program about uh, the passing of Lanny Poffo, who was very well known as a wrestler and a manager as the genius. Very witty guy. Pay attention to me. I'm the genius. Jim Neidhart does not have a chance. He's ugly, repulsive, and somewhat obese. There isn't much room for romance. The genius, however, is handsome and tall. My body is so statuesque. The genius has read every one of these books. I invite you to sit at my desk, perusing the poems of Emily D., T.S. Eliot, and all the rest. I shall make the anvil write 100 times. The genius is truly the best. The genius is truly the best. His brother was, of course, the macho man Randy Savage, one of the best known and uh, most popular pro wrestlers of all time. He passed away at the age of 58. You have Lanny Poffo uh, passing away in his 60s, but uh, still far too young, even though he seemed like he was in great shape. Uh, We could go through the list of pro wrestlers Every single year, and former pro wrestlers every single year that have passed away at an incredibly young age. In your view, and having known a lot of these guys, why do so many pro wrestlers seem to pass away so young? Yeah, it's very sad that, you know, today, like when when, when we learned about the loss of Lanny, that was a big shock because he was not really a steroid guy. He wasn't really a drug guy. He lived a healthy lifestyle. And uh, and he and that passing was pretty pretty uh, shocking. Uh, when you come from the era of the '80s, where there was so '80s and '90s, where there was rampant drug abuse, there was ma- uh, rampant steroid use. Uh, there were painkillers. There were just guys just abusing their bodies, not having a chance to. Uh, they're on the road 250, 300 days a year, and it wasn't as policed as it is today. The guys today are not doing what the, what the wrestlers from the years ago did, but wrestlers from that era, you know, because of all the issues back then with the drug abuse, the steroids, the lifestyle, uh, they wound up, we wound up losing so many of them. And, and that's the reason why. Does the WWE, which is obviously the dominant federation in pro wrestling today, do they do a better job not only regulating steroid use but uh, getting people that might be battling things like painkiller addiction? Do they do a better job getting these wrestlers help? 
I believe they certainly do, but it's still uh, it's a problem, but certainly not a rampant problem like it was. There's still those issues uh, with performers in the WWE and, you know, even uh, and everywhere in wrestling. Uh, WWE, uh, they, they do police it more and they do take more care uh, of the health of these wrestlers and they intervene when they feel it's necessary. You alluded to uh, Vince McMahon. I think a lot of the people listening may know who Vince McMahon is. Uh, a lot of people may have, at the very least, even if they're not wrestling fans, have heard his name. Of course, his wife ran for U.S. Senate twice in Connecticut and then was the small business administrator in the Trump administration. We It was a big deal uh, recently, a year or two ago, when Vince McMahon stepped aside as the head of the WWE because of some sexual harassment scandal. It was alleged that he paid off a female referee kind of under the table as kind of hush money to silence her about a sexual harassment scandal. Then uh, I had heard that uh, that he was coming back or had come back. What is the deal now, as far as you understand, Vince McMahon's involvement in the WWE? It's an amazing story. Uh, McMahon stepped down after not only uh, that allegation from the female referee that actually happened 30 years ago, Mm. uh, 31 years ago. He uh, just settled uh, a new civil lawsuit that she filed against him uh, most recently, really, over the last year or so. But that was the that was not the only allegation and that was not the only payment that was made. There were several. I mean, it totaled in the millions and millions of dollars. But what Vince did when they took the pump uh, company public years ago, he made it uh, he he the 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 bylaws. uh, He was in control of the voting shares. And when all the heat hit him last year with these allegations and these uh, disclosures of payoffs, he resigned. And he, you know, said it was time for me to retire, uh, even though all this heat's on him. And then, and then there was a power play uh, that took place where he put himself back in, removed some board members, added some board members that were removed years ago, and he controls over eighty percent of the voting shares. Well, and so why, why bother? Back. Why bother resigning in the first place if you were just going to manipulate the the power dynamic behind the scenes to mount a comeback? He's Vince McMahon. He does what he wants, <laughs> and it's the most fascinating. It's it's almost like Succession in a way. The HBO hit show. Um, Vince is never going away. Vince is seven in his mid to late seventies. He's going to oversee the sale of the WWE, which is in play right now. But my gut feeling, as a uh, a guy that's watched his career since the very beginning, I have a feeling he's going to find money to keep the company, take the company private again. Wow. He's not going to ever go away until he takes his last breath. If people just tuning in, we're talking with John Arezzi. He's co-author of the book Matt Memories and a co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight, uh, which you could check out. It's a terrific podcast. One of the things that uh, I've learned in talking with a lot of uh, boxers over the years, particularly in the heavyweight division, is that uh, they attribute some of the decline 
in the popular fandom of pro boxing over the years to the rise of MMA. They say a lot of the people that used to get really excited about a heavyweight prize fight, uh, they now have that same excitement about a big MMA match. I'm curious if the same thing has happened in the world of pro wrestling. Have we seen people that were years ago pro wrestling enthusiasts become MMA enthusiasts? I think not to the extent uh, as uh, the damage that happened to boxing because of MMA. Uh, wrestling has a uh, fan base. They draw new fans. I mean, it's really an interesting dynamic how it's marketed, but I don't think it, it really affected uh, uh, pro wrestling, uh, the, uh, the rise in popularity of MMA. It, aside from your own book, you know, I know we have a lot of people that uh, that are wrestling fans that uh, can't get enough of wrestling books. I have a big stack of wrestling books that uh, that are on my list, and I'm always kind of researching what people think are the best wrestling books. Sometimes they're memoirs from wrestlers. Sometimes they're uh, people that worked in other capacities. Do you have a favorite wrestling book that's written by someone other than you? Oh, I always loved all of Mick Foley's books. Yeah, he's terrific. Nice Day. Have a Nice Day is perhaps my all-time favorite wrestling book. I'm currently reading the uh, McMahon book that's coming out, uh, Ringmaster, uh, that is coming out in March, and it's the uh, entire story of Vince McMahon uh, by Abraham Reisman, and uh, it, it covers his life from his troubled youth up until present day. Uh, I just started that book. It was given to me by a friend. It was an advanced copy. It hasn't been released yet, but it's going to be a fascinating book, so I look forward to that. But there are so many out there that I would consider really good, but Foley, above anyone else, stands out as far as an author and his uh, uh, and his books that he's, he's released. He has several of them. You alluded to the possibility of a WWE sale. One of the things that's been widely reported is that it may end up being a sale to the Saudis. Now, what would that I mean, what what do you think that would mean for the future of the WWE and pro wrestling at large to sell a uh, a wrestling company to a country uh, that is basically uh, not basically that is an Islamic fundamentalist regime? Well, they've given uh, tens of millions of dollars to the WWE. McMahon has, you know, has cut deals with them in the past uh, and has one currently to go over there to perform uh, a few times a year. Huge deal. Uh, it would. Uh, it's certainly not something that's embraced by anybody I know. Uh, and I think it would be uh, that type of buyer that would allow the company to be taken public, uh, private again. But I don't agree that it should be sold to the Saudis. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I, I, I am so, I think that's so Vince McMahon-like anyway, if that's the route he's going to go. <laughs> it's certainly true. Hey, uh, we have heard a great deal over the years about some uh, veterans of the wrestling business. And uh, recently, uh, just this week, uh, we heard that uh, – 
that uh, Jerry Lawler is uh, battling some health issues. Apparently, he suffered a stroke. And uh, it was also reported last week that uh, superstar Billy Graham is in a a very serious uh, situation health-wise. He's been battling a number of health ailments for literally decades now. Wondering if you could speak to both of those fellas, Jerry Lawler and superstar Billy Graham, especially to the non-wrestling fans in our audience, and the impact that those two men have had on the sport. Well, everybody knows the king, Jerry Lawler, from his uh, illustrious career, from even when he first came into national prominence with the Andy Kaufman angle uh, years ago. Um, but Jerry did suffer a, uh, a major stroke. I mean, he uh, he they got him to the hospital. He uh, he's 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 going to um, uh, be okay. Uh, he's going to have a lot of rehabilitation. But all reports that what I've seen, you know, his speech is slowly coming back. He's got uh, movement uh, of his uh, of his arms, uh, legs, and it may be a long road for the king. And here's a guy who had a heart attack on live TV, right? And they had to resuscitate him. So he's had a lot of health problems, uh, but. You know he is he is a resilient fighter. So uh, you know our thoughts and prayers go out to him. As far as superstar Billy Graham, Billy has had an incredible amount of uh, just horrible uh, health issues that that are based from his years of uh, steroid abuse. So he is in bad shape, and he's got a GoFundMe out there right now. And mm. uh, Billy, I saw a recent photo of him, and, it, and he just doesn't. He just looks horrible. Uh, but Billy has been battling this stuff now really since, wow, 1988-89 is when he came on my radio show years ago and, and, and talked about the abuse and what happened to his body because of it. The fact that he's still with us, I think, is a miracle. Yeah, it is. It certainly is absolutely, absolutely amazing. You mentioned uh, interviewing Eric Bischoff recently, and he's done a lot of things in the wrestling business, but I, I think he sort of rose to prominence with his leadership of WCW. What's interesting is over the last two decades since uh, WCW went out of business and WWE purchased WCW and they make all the documentaries and uh, a lot of the folks that uh, that are on the wrestling scene now have worked recently or do presently work for the WWE, I've noticed that almost all of the documentaries that come out now – they go out of their way, whether it's the recent Ric Flair documentaries or uh, the Bobby Heenan uh, documentary on the uh, Peacock Network, anything. They go out of their way to kind of slam WCW. And I'm sort of reminded in of our discussion about Abraham Lincoln yesterday that uh, the victors get to write history. And I'm wondering if all of the WCW slamming that's done these days by people that are currently active on the wrestling scene if some of that might be a little misplaced. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it has been misplaced. I mean, Eric, Eric Bischoff kind of really changed wrestling when he went after the WWF with Monday Nitro head-to-head against Monday Night Raw. Eric was a visionary. And even though Eric, you know, some of his business decisions and some of the, you know, relationships he had with performers – uh, there's kind of heat to this day with him. 
But it was fascinating to talk to him uh, when we listened to the show from 30 years ago when he was named executive vice president because he was already formulating a different business model. And at that time, TBS was kind of like, all right, we've lost $19 million on this thing. It's being run like a frat house. Let's shake it up. Uh, and that's when Eric got his opportunity on the creative, on the uh, production side. And he, he was a visionary. And the fact that he had enough uh, – as Vince McMahon says, grapefruits to go after the WWF and convince uh, and convince Ted Turner to spend millions of dollars in talent acquisition and and to go head to head and they beat the WWF uh, for 83 weeks consecutively uh, back in the late 90s. So uh, it was fascinating. But yeah, he he doesn't get the credit that he uh, deserves for what he did uh, for pro wrestling. You mentioned a 50-year career covering and being around the pro wrestling business. We saw Cody Rhodes win the Royal Rumble. He's going to WrestleMania. He has his title shot. That is a, a an event that uh, for almost the last four decades ha- has wrestling fans around the world stand up and take notice. Do you still get excited about something like WrestleMania, or has the uh, luster of it sort of worn off for you? It depends on who's in the main event and what the show looks like. I still get excited about WrestleMania as I do with the Royal Rumble because I think those are great pay-per-views and they do a great job each and every year. So I do get excited. And I'm looking forward to this one with Cody in the main event to see if they're going to kind of complete the storyline where he's winning the title for his dad. Uh, I think that would be a great thing for Cody and for uh, the WWE to give this guy the title and to end the reign of Roman Reigns. If you had to pick, and we'll talk with John Arezzi, check out his book, Matt Memories. You can also check out his uh, podcast, search Arezzi, A-R-E-Z-Z-I, on Amazon for the book or wherever podcasts are available for the podcast. If you had to pick the best wrestling documentary that you've ever seen, what is it? Wow, uh, good one. Uh, there was the um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it it, it came out uh, several years ago. It had Jake the Snake Roberts in it. It was when Mick Foley was in the Raw. Oh, uh, I think it was Dark Side of the Ring. Was that it? Well, Dark Side of the Ring is the series. Oh, on oh. Vice. Um, uh, but I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm drawing a, a blank on it. But that was kind of the best documentary I've seen on 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 pro wrestling because it really captured what the business was really like in uh, Beyond the Mat. That's it. Beyond the Mat. That was it, right? Beyond the Mat. Exactly right. That's the one. If you're if you're uh, if you want to know what pro wrestling is really like, that's the documentary to watch. And also wrestling with shadows with uh, Bret Hart was amazing. Yeah, that was really well well done. Obviously, it makes uh, it, it it comes from a very pro Bret Hart uh, perspective. Uh, it does. Lastly, the you mentioned the AEW. That's uh, one of the alternative federations uh, that's out there now. I like watching AEW because Chris Jericho's in there, and they do have a lot of roles mm-hmm. for older wrestlers. It, do you view the AEW WWE rivalry as anything resembling the WWF WCW rivalry of old? I don't because even though AEW is making great strides, their numbers are good, the ratings are good, the fan base is is fanatical. It's almost like uh, you know going to a, a, a rock concert when you're at an AEW show. Uh, it's being marketed to different audiences, 
Um, the more hardcore fan, uh, the more in the know, smart fan, as you say, watches AEW and WWE. Of mm. course, is almost like uh, you know Disney when you right. come to uh, pro wrestling. Hey, uh, John Arezzi, it's always a treat to talk with you. I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, I'd love to. I thank you so much. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 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 Midnight